From KCRW, this is Nocturne. It's about 11.45 on a Friday night. There are probably around 20 or 30 people here at this point. It's a large studio room with a wood floor. One wall is brick. There are lit candles and sacred objects. There's a small table with some fruit and a bowl. People milling about in martial arts clothing and some nervous children getting ready and some spectators. I'm at a martial arts school called Studio Naga. The art they teach is called Pukalan Shamindi Tulin. This is night one of a 48-hour black belt test. This is Ben. How are you feeling? A little nervous. It's a new experience. Can you say your name? Callie. How are you feeling? I'm pretty nervous, but I think overall I feel more excited than nervous. <laughs> What's the preparation been like for this? Um, well, I've been preparing for about three months now. I've been doing trying to run every day, which is really hard because I'm also in school. Um, I've been trying to come to two or three classes a week just to prepare for my standards and everything. And yeah. And how long have you been part of the school? This year will be my eighth year here. How old were you when you started? I was six. And you're how old? Now? I'm 14. 14. Okay. And just what are you expecting for tonight? I really have no idea, honestly. They don't, they don't tell me what's going to happen, so it's, I don't really know what to expect. Can you just go through what the schedule is over the 48 hours? The way we have done it recently is that at midnight they start their forms and what we call basics or standards forms. In other arts, they'd be called katas or movements or combinations. And that usually takes two or three, four hours. And then there's fights. So they have 25 fights of a minute and a half, usually. And so that's another hour or so of straight fighting with push-ups between. And then they go on a 10-mile run, and there's people with them the whole time. And then they usually get a shower and cleaned up. And by that time it's morning, they taught for a few hours at Saturday morning class. Then we... We usually have some selfless service. We worked on this hedge down the street that was really dangerous and overgrown that is in this dilapidated house. Oh, then they came to the Black Belt dinner. We had a Black Belt dinner, and I asked them to find some joy and to amuse us and make us laugh, and that seemed to give them great consternation. Then they helped clean up dinner. That must have been hard. We were having really nice dinner. They were not having dinner because they eat rice and boiled chicken and plain tea. Then we went to the night walk. She's fallen down, somebody's helped her up. She's fighting. People are coming out of the sides. More from Nocturne in a moment. 
I'm Warren Alney. On To The Point, if America ever used its thousands of nuclear weapons, it would be suicidal. In a nuclear war, there could be no winners. Everybody is a loser. All of civilization is at stake. We've known that for 75 years, but our weapons of mass destruction are still on hair-trigger alert. And just one man, President Trump, has the power to push the button. Is it finally time to make the world safer? On our To The Point podcast... Listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. My name is Louise Rafkin. I teach Pukalan Chimindi Tulin, which is an Indonesian martial art, and I run a school in North Oakland called Studio Naga, and we've been together about 20 years. I think I have a seventh degree black belt but it's a title more than a degree in our art, and guru means teacher, and I'm Masguru Gong, which means highest teacher. Pukalan is a combination art of some styles from Java and Sumatra and a little bit of Chinese. Louise began training in various martial arts in the mid-1980s. When she discovered Pukalan, it stuck. I had gone to a national martial arts convention and I met the teacher of Pukalan and there was a lot of mystique around it at the time. It was a little controversial, partly to do with these kinds of things, like there was a nighttime element of the test, it was really long. There's a lore of the history that's very, very complicated and and somewhat violent. They hit harder, they didn't have any rules. There is a kind of way that it was real, and I think, not that all martial arts aren't real, but from my thinking at the time, it appealed to that, like, young person's thought, like, what is this? I've been to Indonesia three or four times now, and it's just a different culture, and martial arts were used as a way of staying alive. There's something in the art that comes from both light and dark that comes to us that is interesting. What we emphasize is certainly effective fighting skills, but just as much leadership and compassion. The kids and adults from very early on are asked to teach one hour a week, so they have to connect with other people. They have to learn how to lead other people. The compassion part is important because they're learning pretty effective strikes and you have to know when that's appropriate when it's not how not to be a bully how not to overwhelm other people and it but to train to the highest of your ability and then there's a community aspect that's incredibly important to me and that is you can't do much on your own that martial arts, people see it as a singular sport, not a team sport. But you really, if you don't have a community, you're, you're shadow boxing. And having a community means developing trust and developing awareness and care for each other and the space. You know, we're here to be warriors for peace 
and bridges to understanding for people. And there's a lot of different kinds of people in the studio from different backgrounds. And I think that's also really important. What is a modern martial artist? You know, we're doing this ancient thing, pretty ancient, you know, hand-to-hand combat, which is not needed so much in our society, rarely, although I think it also develops this incredible confidence so that people don't fight. You can teach people to hit people pretty hard and do some damage, but that's not that interesting. And I want the school to be a place where the learning is multifaceted and engages all parts of being a good human. Advancing to the level of black belt at Studio Naga is not a short process. It can easily take six to ten years, and that's by no means a stopping point. The testing process involves a series of activities over a 48-hour period, some of them physically grueling, with no sleep. So why is it important for the advancing students to be up for so long? It's 48 hours for a black belt, and it gets to 72 for the third-degree black belt test. In terms of why so long, I, I really think you get at what's really underneath and what's important, and physically, it super helps. I often get pushback from parents who say, oh, you can't, you can't possibly stay up this long, and it's dangerous. In fact, Louise has noticed that something positive happens as the hours and days pass without sleep. The testers seem sharper and more focused. Their movements are stronger. So after 48 hours, you know, there is something where you use the energy that is there that is very pure. That's all I can say. You know, you drop away the pretext of being nice. You know, your filters go away. It's a bit like that societal filters drop away and you get very deep in what's important and what's real. And I think that that actually, right now, with all the phones and distractions and constant communication, that 48 hours can be really rejuvenating and restful and revealing. The first hours are are really fraught, usually. They're the sort of hard to let go of fear, anxiety, projection, story, all that stuff. I think there's just an energy that switches at some point, and it gets very clear, and some of the static is gone. And there's something about these long tests that is a profound trust that you place in somebody, somebody else, that they're going to take care of you. And, you know, that's the community. Other members of the community show up for the testers throughout the weekend, many in the middle of the night to run with them, to give them a good fight, and to help them stay awake. There's always a guard with them, so, you know, I think some people have been poked a couple times, maybe. Especially if they're sitting around the fire out here at three or four in the morning, and you might get a little poke in the ribs or a little tap on the shoulder. But nobody's given up and said, I just can't do it. No. I mean, you always have a choice whether you can leave. You know, it's a funny thing, right? Because... Really, in the world, there's no reason to do it, and you have to want to choose to be there. Choosing to be there and deciding to push through internal and external obstacles is a salient theme of the testing weekend. You decide, yeah. It's always their choice. 
Well, it comes from my black belt test, and actually, I was a wreck at some point in it. I was fighting someone, and I was fighting someone who I, quote, thought was my friend, and, you know, got kicked right in the face and started crying, and my teacher called me over, and I really thought she was going to be all, oh, are you okay, honey? And she just said, you decide. Decide to stop crying. And it was really powerful. And and this is where the warrior part or the martial part comes in. And I'm not going to say that I would be very good in a war because I probably wouldn't be. But I'm sure there's a lot of like, you just have to decide. You have to be clear in that moment. You can freak out and in any parts of our life, right? You can completely freak out and go wild. And I'm not saying emotions aren't right or we shouldn't follow them, but sometimes emotions lead you down a path that's unnecessary. Deciding and choosing to be there comes up when the testers struggle to stay awake during meditation, when they do fight after fight after fight at two o'clock in the morning, the first night of the test at the studio, when they run 10 miles in the dark and the cold after that, and most of all on the second night, when they do the night walk, which is not at all what it sounds like. At the night walk, the black belt candidates are blindfolded and driven to an unknown remote location. When they arrive, the blindfold is removed and they're led to a dark path, which they have to traverse to get to a candle at the end. Along the way, attackers will jump out from the shadows and from behind bushes, and the testers will need to muster all of their focus, courage, and strength to find a way through. The night walk is, it's kind of awesome because you never know who's going to show up and you never know where it's going to be. And it's just putting yourself in a pretty as close to a combat situation as I think you can put someone. I mean, people say tournaments are combat situations, but tournaments have an arc that you know when you go in. You're going to bow in, you're going to fight, you're going to get points, you're going to hit somebody, they're going to hit you, blah, blah, blah. The night walk, you don't know who's out there or no one's out there. You don't know where you're going. You don't know when they're going to come out at you. So it's a position that you have to mentally really steal, set, prepare for your mind. You know, you can't imagine what it's going to be. You don't even know where you're going to go. I still couldn't tell you where my night walk was on Cape Cod, where it was. It was next to a pond. I know that. And there were cars with people in them. I don't know who was there, except afterwards, a couple people told me they were there. But you know, you're running through a forest, an urban area, something, and anything could happen. It simulates a situation where you're completely reliant on yourself, your skills, your emotional setting. You know, you can't let an inch of I'm not going to get there get in. There's more than one way to get through the night walk. Very rarely, though, does someone get to the end without engaging in hand-to-hand combat in the dark. The one person that I've seen do that, it was crazy. It was uh, Dee, who's an older person when she went through, and I was a little bit worried about her going through because she has a little bit of street fighter in her. And so I was kind of amped. And the people that jumped out at her, she actually just said, I love you, I don't want to fight. 
I love you and I don't want to fight and you don't have to fight and it was I was crying by the end because it was kind of kooky like no one went at her and it was the last person you would expect to do that you know it was that was the person where I was like you know I hope we don't have to go to the hospital that was a powerful statement and you know we talk about that a lot in martial arts like the best fight is the fight you don't fight you know the best fight is having the confidence to walk away a couple of people had to try it a couple times because they got stopped. You know, someone tackled them and they couldn't go on and they didn't get there, wherever there was at that point. So there have been ones that they had to try again. My black belt test, it was midnight and it was on the East Coast and it was December 19th, 1991. And I wasn't blindfolded, but I didn't know where I was. And it was a long path through the snow and I was wearing white, which I guess could be helpful. I remember the scrunching of the snow and I ran and nobody jumped out. I don't know if they didn't see me. I got to quote the end, but there was no place to go and there was a lake and it was winter. And I didn't know what to do because I heard someone coming after me and there was this guy and he was sort of the best fighter then and everyone always says it was like the terminator for me it's like i got to the end and then the terminator was behind me i was a little bit crazed i picked up a giant stick and swung it at him and he caught it in one hand and just threw it on the ground so then we fought it was it was not pretty i don't think the first night of the test is a structured program of fights, movements, and rituals in the studio. It begins around midnight, and I go to watch Callie and Ben work to earn their black belts. Another student, Max, is going for his brown belt. The two boys are in high school. Callie's in eighth grade. Family and friends arrive at around 11.30 on Friday night, and this portion of the test goes until around 3 a.m. Fifty to sixty other members of the school are present, with spectators watching from seats at the side. In the first section of events, the candidates fight various attackers who brandish fake handguns, rifles, and sticks. Next, they perform a series of movements as people with clipboards grade them and give occasional feedback. And finally comes the section in which both Callie and Ben have 25 fights of two minutes each, with 30-second breaks in between. In the breaks, they do push-ups as other community members count them down. Callie looks to be about 5 feet and 100 pounds and younger than 14, with blonde braids and pigtails. And she fights fiercely with large adult men, easily approaching double her weight. While some of the earlier activities were done on mats, these fights are on the bare wood floor. Some of the attackers are doing what they call monkey-style fighting, made obvious by the monkey sounds they're making. 
And at two o'clock in the morning, I have to say, that's a little surreal. The fights go on and on, clearly taking every ounce of strength that Callie and Ben have. You can see that it's difficult for them to continue moving and to even keep their hands up. At one point, I think it has to be over. They just can't do anymore. But no. It's 2.25. I think the fighting might be over at this point. All three of the candidates are incredibly impressive, but I can't help noticing that both of the boys take breaks at some point during the fighting. But Kelly, she's relentless. She never stops, and no one goes easy on her. At the end, she has energy to spare. There's 25 fights. She did almost 30. She did not stop. And... You know, the other thing I will say is that I think women know and girls know they can't really depend just on the body to get through. It's, it's, it has to be a melding of the body and mind, else you're never going to get there. A lot of boys, I mean, the worst black belt tests I've ever seen are teenage boys because they have a lot of ideas that I'm just going to take this strong body through. I'm really fit. I trained in it. They're exhausted. And I think Callie had a really good line of, you know, I'm going to be fierce when I have to, but I'm not going to waste it. So after all that, at around 3.30 in the morning, Callie and Ben go for their 10-mile run, followed by hours of meditation, teaching others at the school, and community service. They have a little bit of rice, boiled chicken, and plain tea. At 11.30 on Saturday night, I go out to an area called the Albany Bulb to see Callie and Ben do their night walks. The Bulb is a tiny finger of wild land tucked between the freeway and the San Francisco Bay. It used to be a landfill for discarded building material, but nature has been allowed to take over, so it's a sort of Mad Max environment with trees and bushes wildly interspersed with discarded concrete and jutting rebar. Also, it's become a haven for guerrilla art, so there are makeshift sculptures and paintings in surprising places. The only light comes from the parking area, the closed racetrack down the road, and San Francisco and the bridges across the bay. You hear the roar of the freeway, water gently lapping against the shore, and the occasional train horn. When I get to the parking lot, members of the school are already there, heading to the long, dark path, positioning themselves for the test. Wendy Wisely is a brown belt student. She'll be one of the attackers. Part of the tricky part is they're all in white, so they're very easy to spot, and they will show up with a masquerigan. But we all show up first to talk about like what to expect, because many people, some of the younger people, haven't been on a night walk before, so they don't know what to expect or what to do. And then we get dispersed around the area, and then masquerigan will show up with the testers, and then it's a go. Can you tell me a little bit about what to expect? <laughs> well, each night walk for each tester is a little different because it's up to them how they want to handle it. I've been on somewhere the tester just ran. He just took off running, and he was a pretty big, strong guy. And you just were not going to get in front of him. And you couldn't catch him. So his, it wasn't a night walk. It was a straight-out sprint. What's the purpose of this part of it? Well, I think it's like every other 
element of this entire test. It's a matter of gaining control of your fear, the idea of being able to protect yourself in a situation where you don't know what to expect, you're not in the studio, there's not flow fighting, it's somebody grabs you, what do you do? Now, luckily that's one of our most basic training at the lowest level. When you start, you learn self-defense and you study that the longest. So when somebody grabs you, what do you do? And that's all in your muscle memory. It's incorporating everything they've learned up to this point the test is theirs to run through, to walk through calmly, to sneak through. We've had other testers who like sneak through and so they pass people. You don't even know they went past you. Even in white. Oh, even in white. Yeah. Um, are there any like uh, concerns about being out on, like out in the bulb at night in the dark? Well, the thing is that um, there's a whole bunch of black belts. So if you were ever going to be anywhere out in the dark... This would be the group you'd want to be with. But nobody's out to hurt anyone. There is a sense of trust. I have to trust them, too, because they're amped up. They're excited. They're, their adrenaline is pumping, and so I have to take care of myself and also be aware that nobody's here to hurt anyone. So everybody here is doing... Are they all going to be... Part of, yes. So jumping out at, people, yes. at, the, at the testers? Yes. Yes. You're the what? With the gauntlet. And what are, what are your instructions? They vary a little bit depending on the terrain. Usually if uh, there's a, a, a concrete pathway like this, we are instructed to uh, not try to, you know, knock them down on this, you know. If they get past us, they get past us. They, we're not to pursue them en masse, to be careful for ourselves because they can't see and they're adrenaline and so we have to take care of ourselves um, and that's about it I mean no weapons obviously <laughs> a short while later Louise arrives with Kelly and Ben blindfolded and disoriented hi hi how are you feeling I mean I'm a little nervous because I'm in a blindfold yeah so I can't see anything can you tell me how you feel about fighting? I mean, fighting has never really been my favorite part. Um, to me, it's always been the small, unpleasant aspect of the art. The art in the studio for me is much more of the community than it is the, like, fighting during the test. Hi, Kelly. Hi. How are you feeling? I'm really nervous. Yeah? What are you nervous about? I don't know where I am, and I don't like that. Yeah. Can you say again from last night uh, what that experience was like and the main thing that you learned or things that you learned from that experience? Um, I learned that um, I'm capable of a lot more than I thought I would be able to do because fighting, like Ben said, is it's not my thing either. And I kind of learned that I'm a lot more powerful and I'm a lot more strong than I think I am. This test is like... Everyone says that it's basically 100% mental, which I didn't think was totally true because, I mean, there is a physical element. You need to be, like, able to run 10 miles. You need to be able to fight and do a lot of push-ups. But it's kind of in your mind on how you just keep going because I'm not, like, a big upper body person, but I still got through the push-ups because I made myself do it and I pushed myself to do it. Cool. And what are you expecting is going to happen right now? 
I really have no idea. I know I'm gonna run in the dark. And, you're, and right now you've got a blindfold on, mm -hmm. so you really have no idea where you are. Mm -mm. Okay, are you tired or are you just mostly nervous? I'm really, I was really tired when we were driving over here, but now I'm just really nervous. Yeah, okay. Thank you for talking to me. Good luck, you guys. Good luck. Okay, so go back to your breathing. I'm gonna be with you the whole time. Okay, so take off your blindfold and look up. Just look at the moon, okay? Nice moon, right? It's pretty near perfect. So set your intentions, you guys. You guys stay here, turn around, I'll be back. with a lovely halo around the moon and you can hear the gently lapping waves of the bay got some city lights of San Francisco and the and the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge too actually and uh, and then this mostly kind of wild unlit park-like land and several people walking towards us all dressed in black You decide, right? It's in your hands. I want you guys to stay to the right of the path as much as possible for safety. And there's the teachers and the candle at the end. Okay? If they say guru, you get up. Okay? If you say guru, they'll get up. If you need to. Okay? As soon as you step over, you're on your own. You have to find the candles and the teacher. This is it. Callie says she wants to get it over with, so she goes first. She has no idea how this is going to go. All she knows is that she has to walk down a dark path alone, and that there are attackers along the way. There are long, thin, golden bands of light reflecting in the water. Dark shapes dot the edges of the path. Callie's demeanor changes. She becomes focused and steely. She starts out running, and I take off to keep up with her. Falling down, somebody's helped her up. She's fighting. People are coming out of the sides.
The attackers are menacing, utterly quiet. They seem to be held back by an invisible force field until they lunge and Callie has to fight them off with her hands and her voice. I've been five to ten feet behind Callie this whole time, sometimes running behind her and sometimes staying a respectful distance away as she stands still, eyeing her attackers. If you listen closely, there's one point where I'm softly crying from just the intensity of this moment. So, following Callie as she made her way through a gauntlet of attackers, I uh, I still do have a tear in the back of my throat. It was incredibly moving, and this one badass girl <laughs> um, the, the tears are still there I'm not quite sure what they're from because I wasn't scared it was more just moving I know why I was crying aside from just being way impressed that this young small woman is brave enough to do this this exercise of walking down a dark trail at night and confront attackers is that it's fucking terrifying. This is basically my nightmare of where I would come, where I'd end up by myself at night. It's very, very isolated. You could scream your head off here on a normal night and nobody would hear you. This is not a place that you'd want to be if you needed people to help you. Louise acknowledges that this art and this test is asking a lot of her black belt students, some of whom are very young. Every step of the way, they need to ask themselves, can I do this? Is it worth it? And only they can decide. I think that that's true about our art, and it's the story for Callie at that moment. You know, you want to go on, you want to not go on. You've been doing this eight years, You've been training for it hard for a year that I know of. Stop crying and do the thing. And she did the thing. She did the thing so much that one of the attackers ended up in the emergency room. Well, yeah, Callie broke a grown man's nose. Punched him in the face. He came at her and, uh, you know, she broke his nose. He's okay. Mistakes happen. We try not to have that happen, of course. But in another way, she really knows she can fight and defend herself for real. Not just, I'm a black belt because I did a few things. And I think that is the confidence because, you know, you wear this strip of black material while you're in this, you know, esoteric room, but your life isn't lived in that room. Your life is elsewhere. The worth of a black belt is that that you have that confidence 
to know that you can take care of yourself and make the right decisions for yourself and for other people. I've become a lot more confident through my training. That was like a validation of how confident I really have become. Like that was the test that got me to physically get my black belt. But I feel like the whole time I've been training really is the test. So I feel like that was like the intense 48 hours, but everything building up to it has made me feel safe. And that was just kind of proving to myself that I really can do the things that I don't, I didn't think I could do. I think I wasn't shy when I first joined, but I was a lot more, more introverted and I didn't want to like talk to people and really I wasn't super expressive. But now I've talked to everyone I meet just kind of weird because it's like a martial arts and it's supposed to teach you to punch and kick. But I think it has taught me to be a people person with more confidence because it's not a team sport. Like you're not on a court, you're not playing basketball, but you need to work together because I'm going to learn something from a white belt and a white belt's going to learn something from me. And you need to be able to kind of learn from each other and work together. And you need to do that everywhere, but especially at the studio. Ben successfully completes his night walk after Callie. Then most of the teachers and attackers walk to the end of the bulb, where there's a big sculpture of a dragon, to honor the fallen enemy. Callie and Ben stay back with another teacher, sitting on the ground and talking about what they've just done, and coming down from all the adrenaline. At the end of the night walk, around 50 people head over to the beach, some looking out over the bay, some of them sparring in the sand. Callie and Ben have hours of meditation ahead of them. The next night, Sunday, they'll receive their black belts. At midnight on that third night, they'll be able to go home and go to sleep. It's after one in the morning, and I realized that while I felt fine out here at the bulb this whole time, I can't walk back to my car by myself. I don't feel safe walking to the parking lot alone. I don't actually feel that safe walking here by myself during the day. So I wait until some of the black belts are ready to leave, and I follow them out. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Nocturne is distributed by KCRW and also receives support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project, which is managed by Kristen Lepore. Thank you to Nick White. Thanks to Louise Rafkin, Black Belts Callie and Ben, and everyone at Studio Naga for access to the school and all the testing events. You can find a link to the school at our website, nocturnepodcast.org, and the show notes for this episode. Drop us a line at hello at nocturnepodcast.org or on Twitter at Nocturne Podcast. We love to hear from you. Till next time, thanks for listening.